this was probably one of the biggest lessons for me that I had to learn for myself is like, if I can make it easy for me to succeed and to feel like I've achieved something every day, regardless of what it is, then, you know, I, I feel more fulfilled because I understand that I'm making it easier for myself to celebrate the little things instead of constantly looking for something massive and not enjoying the journey along the way. Hey guys, family and friends. My name is JJ Rescas or Juan Jose Rescas. I am the host of this show called Optimizandome or Optimizing Me, where it's my job to invite very particular humans to deconstruct their story, their habits, their routines, mindset, and learn from the lessons that their lives inspire us. Today, we have a very, very interesting and particular a guest that is dear to my heart. Our guest today is an award-winning marketer and entrepreneur. Her mission is to support people making a positive impact through their marketing. She's also the founder of Creative Impact Collective, the leading membership for wellness professionals, founders, and experts serving other conscious people and the planet. Furthermore, she's also the CEO of the Alt Marketing School and host of the podcast with the same name. There, her mission is to raise a new generation of marketers. On top of that, she's also the author of two books, Make an Impact and, most recently, Reclaim Your Time Off. Clearly, our guest today has as much ex experience in marketing, entrepreneurship, and other areas as she has tattoos in her body. So, how does she do all of that and more? Well, that's something that we'll discover today. Without further ado, let's welcome Fab Giovanetti. Hey Fab, how are you doing? I'm feeling the pressure now. So we got we got the love already. So I'm very dear to JJ's heart, which means yes. now the pressure is. And also, sadly, I have more tattoos than years of experience because I got 21 tattoos. So I was probably about 10 at the time. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be impressive if I started doing like business at 10. So again, that's why I'm like, I've got a lot of pressure now to actually, you know, um, ding, but I'm really excited. <laughs> nice, thank you. So let's start. Okay, I, I, I have just displayed a bit of information, but we would like to know who is Fab Giovanetti and what does it really mean to be a marketer slash entrepreneur for you? Yeah, who is Fab? Fab is a tiny Italian lady, slightly bonkers. Um, moved to the UK, I should know this, 11 years ago. So it kind of like you imagine the weirdest elements of both Italian and British humor all encompassing into one. It, it's an interesting match. And I say this because actually it's a big part of what I do is obviously the storytelling, the writing, the, the connection with my audience and with my people. And I think the unique flairness of fabulous sort of bonkersness helps. Is like, you know, what's your trademark almost? Um, when it comes to the marketing, what, what does, you know, being a marketer and entrepreneur mean to me? It's always been part of who I was. I think when it comes to my skills, my abilities, my my demeanor, I always was a person that was trying new things, creating things, even when I was younger. So I find that to me, it's just my way to show up in the world is to help people make a positive impact online. And quite naturally, the two ways or three if you count obviously my, my writing as well 
the two to three ways that I would do that was through helping brands market themselves better and also kind of market themselves with a bigger purpose, help individuals with, again, the entrepreneurial side, set up systems and businesses that can work for them, but also that can work for others and improve other people's lives. And then again, with my writing, similarly, I want to make sure that people can actually, especially with Reclaim Your Time Off, which is my latest book, they actually can then find that elusive balance and be happier. So to me, it just genuinely means fulfilling the reason why I want to show up in the world, or one of the reasons, I would say. So that's why I am who I am and why I chose the paths, paths, because more than one, that I chose, I suppose. Hmm. Do you recall a specific moment in time where, or when those moments became decisive for you to start getting into into the paths that you just mentioned, or mainly one that is the key or spinal cord that you get there to to get into marketing and entrepreneurship? Because they are so interrelated, right? Do you recall a specific moment in your history? Maybe. Again, so answering your question by going completely left field, by the way, I love left fields and tangents and it's just like, woo! And it's like, where is she going now? But follow me, I'll take you to the ride. Okay, the ride goes like this. Actually, my writing and wanting to be a writer is where it all started. And as much as you mentioned, which is very true, being an entrepreneur, being a marketer can be very much connected. I find that actually somehow the writing experience and my passion, my dream of becoming a writer is the glue that brought everything together out of all everything because it was at the core of it storytelling obviously and that's why i always wanted to be a writer since i was 10 i was reading stephen king and i was like omg this this old man is i i love him so much and i'm like what are you doing i was like this is amazing so i did it more from passion in that case obviously and i realized that not only i loved reading and i loved these books but also I was really good at telling stories and I was really good at sharing and also I was really good at facilitating and hearing other people's stories and being able to bring them into the world, which is pretty much what as an entrepreneur I do, not every entrepreneur does, but as an entrepreneur I do with the work I do. And also as a marketer, that's what I do. I hope I facilitate better conversations online and I you know, take my clients and my students' work and kind of put it into the world in a much more effective way. So that's kind of where I see myself being. So I think actually wanting to become a writer made me realize how much powerful stories are. And then when I had to choose my path going forward, I gravitated towards ideas, projects, and I guess job roles, you can say, that were really going back to the storytelling so that at least I can still have my creativity and my writing streak in everything I do, even when it's not necessarily exactly what the job it's supposed to be. So not fixed to a title in this case. It sounds that, that being a writer gives you flexibility. I would say so as well. Yeah, I would say there is an element of, of that too. I think it's kind of hard, you know, especially when I'm looking at, at, at the journey itself, I realize that I feel, I don't know if anybody else feels the same, talking about habits, about learning and also changing. <clears throat> I seen my path kind of, I always saw my path and then I came to the last two years Sounds like a broken record because pretty much everybody's like, the past two years have taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. It's true. They taught us all a lot. JJ is like, yes, yes, queen, it did. Um, and I think for me, it's been a case of it almost, it brought up some things that I already knew and like it showed me that even more, more I had to be more flexible and more 
adaptable than ever. And I think that has been one of the things that definitely has shifted for me when it comes to my even my learning process and the way that I make time to implement things, to reflect on things and to do things, because that's a big part of who I am. And I think that that's one of the things that I look at the last two years and I was like, I can see retrospectively how much I had to change. And I'm, I don't know if it's been the same for you, like how many things I tried, new things to change, new paths to explore. But a bit because I was forced to, or because I wanted to, but because I had to. And I think that's been one of the really interesting things when I come to think about my evolution as well. This has probably been a really interesting moment for me. And I only realize now that I'm actually taking a bit more time to take a step back and look at it a bit better. Hmm. So let's let's start talking a little bit of that time off, right? And um, well, where is it? Here it is. Here it is. The reclaim your time off, definitely. And um, the question is, who took Fab's time away that she had to reclaim her time off? So what do you mean by that? Sorry, who? Oh, sure. Who, who took your time off that you had to go and reclaim it back? Oh, oh who stole it off me? Right. Well, I was like, hmm, I like... The problem is not who, is what. I think that's been the problem with me. Um, and even more so, and it's one of your favorite topics, JJ, so I'm going to go with that. It's more, even not what, is which mindset going deeper. Let me explain. It wasn't even... How you, can, you, can, you can genuinely blame so many things for getting more distracted, for not being as focused... And there are some things, some push notifications or anything else that you can think of, and these things will actually affect that. But when you go to the bottom of it, and this is why I give people the carrot and the stick in the book in Reclaim Your Time Off, you have you can use the practices to help you implementing some systems, but if you don't look at the mindsets or the reasons why you still feel that even if I gave you the best system in the world, we work together for a workshop and I give you everything you need, tailored to you you might still go away and if i haven't if we haven't discussed if we haven't covered the reason why you feel you don't have enough time the reason why i don't feel fulfilled the reason why i don't feel you had a successful day and more i talk about in the book but all of these things then after two days you're gonna get back to square one so for me i realized that i kept pointing my finger at everything be like mm, this thing is taking too much time or i'm getting distracted because of this and then i was like no 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 I realized that I was my worst enemy when it came to it. And I really had to be like, why am I struggling to enjoy the time off? There's a, just to finish off, there's a little running joke that we have with my husband where he's like, he can chill for a day, do nothing. And we did it at Christmas last year. It was like just the full day. And it was like, this is going to be the hardest thing for you. And I was like, nah. And it was like, I was like, you're going to struggle. I was like, fair. And then half day, half day, and I was like, what are we going to do now? And it was like, we're sitting down, we're eating, we're watching a movie. Oh, okay, but, but nothing else? I mean, I could clean that. And he was like, stop it. And I, was, I realized that I was like, my brain was like, what should I do? Why am I not doing anything? So, you know, my mindset has been really what I had to unpick for a very long time to be able to reclaim that time. And then everything else is a bonus because it helps you helping yourself. But without realizing... What are some of the beliefs you have about that? It's always going to be hard to actually reclaim your time for reals. Hmm. How did you realize some of the beliefs that you had around this? And because what I noticed 
is that some people have the belief that they or we, I sometimes include myself into that, we need to perform constantly an action, something. Other ones uh, may have another different path that is procrastination or getting into something that is um, high reward, instant reward without with delaying this thing. Whether that activity is not productive or not, it doesn't matter. They just do it. So how did you figure out your own belief? beliefs around around time management? Probably the biggest thing was um, the definition of insanity by Albert Einstein, doing the same thing and expecting a different result and being like, I'm making the same mistake again and be like, nah, if, you know, this time it's going to be different. I was like, no, it's not. It's a pattern. So I think that was well, that was one of the biggest things for me is like recognizing the patterns that I will go back to again and again and again and it, the thing is, because then people are like, well, then am I doomed? And I said, no. But what I'll say is, because I still do repeat some of these patterns, but if five years ago, maybe even, even less, maybe I will catch myself all the way down to a position of being really ill or really burnt out. Now I catch myself a bit earlier than that, you know, and, and then I will kind of see the signs or understand or being able to assess that and make sure decisions and choices choices from um, a place of confidence and not fear and be like, no, actually I can, you know, I can step back. And again, very topical and timely, but it literally happened today at time of recording. So at time of recording, we're going to have a, a big event in a, in a couple of days and I'm just not well. I'm not fully a hundred percent well. And I'm like that. I, I'm, I emailed all our speakers and I said, we need to find a compromise. I need to make sure that we make life a bit easier for me because I'm going to be the person that's going to help you, but I know I don't know how much I'm going to be able to show up on the day. And so I was really open and honest, and I said, I still want to do this. This could be the compromise so that things can be a bit easier for everyone. I hope you understand, but I need, I need to make sure that I put my well-being first. And probably two years ago, I would have not done it. I would have pushed through because expectations and reasons and things. So again, you know, it's I still got to a point where I'm not, fully well but it happens in life but instead of beating myself up or pushing through it now I know better but I would lie to you if I said that it wasn't a case of because I've been there a few times and every single time I was like how can I do this better and then you catch yourself a bit and then you set up something or you change something to make it easier for yourself but maybe you are different and I hope so that not everybody's like me but when I talk to clients and people read my book a lot of people resonate with the fact that it's not a clean slate change. It will take you a few times and a few adjustments. And when you catch yourself, it's all about how kind you are to yourself when you realize that as well. And it sounds also that you were able to reprioritize your list of items. Was there any... Okay, you have clearly been working for a long time creating stuff, but I do believe, and maybe I'm completely wrong, let's see, what were your prior priorities, your former priorities, and how they changed? So I know we're, we're digging a lot into reclaim your time off. And th that is cool because the audience that I have are mostly goal-driven people. They want to do something. But sometimes, like you said, the priorities are simply not aligned with what they want. So in your case, was there any shift or how would you help people to reassess that shift? Even more than priorities, I think another thing that can really get 
you lovely listeners' attention. Um, is even a case of if you are goal driven and you've got loads of ideas, like an idea per day almost, which happened to me in the past. You you know these ideas can be good, and you don't act on all of them, which is very important. That's probably one of my priorities. Less shifts was definitely not act on anything that I thought was a genius idea, but also we thrive on on being able to kind of feel that there's this flow of creativity going through, whether it's for a project itself or a new project or just to come up with, uh, obviously, interesting solutions to problems. And when you're working too much or when you're not allowing yourself to reprioritize your efforts or make space, that's the most important thing, then it would be a bit presumptuous for you to assume that not making by not making space to actually have that break, imagine yourself as a clean slate, that you're going to still be able to have creativity flowing and ideas flowing and, and, you know, and you're going to be able to perform at your best because you're not giving yourself the space to breathe and to let these ideas, these juices, as I like to call them, flow. And I think for me, that was one of the most important things. It's almost like I basically reprioritized what I talked about, even if I struggle with it the rest and the quote-unquote-unquote-unquote boredom. I talk in the book about, you know, making friends with boredom and actually enjoying it. And I found little things that I can do. For example, for me, going for walks is a great way to reshift and reprioritize and refocus because I kind of get into a different state. I physically get away from my desk. And I, I try not to have any stimuli aside from music or a podcast or just maybe dancing on my own which I know sounds mad, it is mad, but I do it sometimes when I'm excited. But, you know, these are some of the moments. And then obviously you have, you know, showers can be great, but even just like having a nap. There's so many things you can do. But I think for me, reprioritizing rest, but in a way of reprioritizing making space, that was key. And I'm going to say one more thing about this, because then you get the goal-driven, productive people that are like, yes, I'm going to rest, I'm going to have a 20-minute power nap, it's going to be the best nap, I'm going to think about this, and then I'm going to have this goal, and the power nap is going to go like this, and I'm like, ah, you're you're making your naps or your rest or your creative time highly functional again. Yeah, oh, I would get somebody here. I would challenge you for one not to, and it's so crazy how much you rediscover about yourself and the little things that pop up in your head because you are just being like 20 minutes of nothing and I'm gonna do something that is literally just the simplest thing ever that doesn't require me to have any goals any expectations any achievements around it and I think that would be my thing that I would encourage people to prioritize a bit more to look at that rest and that space making that space for themselves No goals moment. That's how I'm going to call it. And I will try myself, actually. That's a little hard, actually, for me. For me, like you said, but if it works for you, it's going to work also for me and other people. Thank you for that. Now, let's talk a little bit about other of your projects. Can you tell us how did the idea of creative impact start? That... So the whole project, as you as you very eloquently mentioned at the beginning, is a membership, so it's a community, and that's the core of what we do. We have other elements of it, but at the core is just showcasing people that we love or our members or people that we admire and kind of giving them a bigger platform regardless of follower numbers or uh, you know achievements. We also have an awards ceremony that literally does that, kind of like, and it celebrates different people depending on different achievements, which kind of reminds us that 
sometimes we think I have to do this and this and this to be able to have a voice and it's not the case. Um, and so with that, going back into the origin of it, it was really about the fact that, again, problem solution, similar to all marketing school, which I know we'll probably touch on, but both of them were me looking for something kind of finding it anywhere. And for me, it was a place at the time to talk about how much I love green juices because it used to be called health bloggers community. So that's literally what it said in the tin, right? And then I evolved. And then from a health blogger, which I kind of was, uh, you know, then I went into, again, I, I love marketing, obviously business. And then I kind of transitioned and that's my expertise. So I would help these people market themselves better, etc. which means then from health bloggers became creative impact because a lot of our audience, we grew with them and they became professionals and experts in their own field. So the nutritionists, the personal trainers, the life coaches, pretty much all of this, the, the meditation teachers and yoga teachers. And um, at the core of it, there's always been an, a, an intersection of a couple of things. And I'm going to say one thing that can sound controversial at first, but I know that people know, know what I'm talking about. There is an element of obviously doing what you love. There is an element of obviously what people need. So that's kind of like a combination, even if it started from my selfish need of a community. There's an element also where the universe is kind of kindly pushing you sometimes, which I think is important. But also there's an element of, you know, can I, can I make money out of it? Can I actually turn it into a sustainable business? And I think that was a big thing that sometimes we forget when we talk about following our passion is like, can I create something that would be sustainable for the amount of work that I want to put in? So creative impact started as one thing and has evolved in something a lot bigger. And I think because of my slight stubbornness and resilience, I would say, I was able to adapt it based on a combination of all of these things. How can I make it profitable? How can I help others? How can I do something that I enjoy and that I'm good at? And also what is kind of the universe trying to tell me about it? So that's what it started as and it evolved in something very similar to what it was but it has been that change and the shift because I learned to uh, balance these different factors together and find my way around it mm. you know it reminds me of um, Jim Collins flywheel model which he talks about do something that you're the best at what's in your DNA in other words that's something that can help people or a segment of people and how can you create a financial engine around that so those are the three elements of that flywheel sounds very similar are you are we going so far good are we good far? cool nice okay so what are the mistakes that you see in other people when they're starting whether it's in their careers as marketers or in their paths as entrepreneurs it's kind of hard because I think the, they're kind of overlapping mistakes, but also they're very different mistakes. So I might, I might just kind of sway into the entrepreneur brain just because we we're talking about creative impact, which is kind of the hat that I wear there, I guess. Um, obviously, I can talk about both, but I just say like some of them overlap, but I find that there's a, a, there's a couple of things that really annoy me sometimes. Um, mistakes. One thing that I'll say is that embrace it's kind of nice to be able to embrace the mistakes sometimes within that. I think that's one thing that I just wanted to, to add in there because um, we have a streak of perfectionism, which I know can happen, happens to me for sure. But it's also, it's really hard 
to be inspired, as in to actually gravitate towards and and consume a lot of content from people that are exactly where we are, you know, when it comes to the level of our journey. Honestly, as understandable, we want to look at people that are slightly above us or they are kind of like going slightly ahead because it inspires and motivates us to do better. However, when that's mainly what we look at as entrepreneurs, it's not even anybody's fault. It's just how we do it and how we react. But it means that constantly, all the time, we're looking at what other people are doing, which can trigger comparison, which I think is one of the biggest problems. But also, we kind of forget that we're looking at, first of all, somebody else's journey and also somebody else's stage of the journey. And I think that can be a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. So when you are starting as an entrepreneur, so that's more of a mistake of when you're starting or when you're still really small, it's good to be able to look at what other people are doing is understandable that we gravitate towards people that are more quote-unquote successful than us but one we probably are not going to go back for three years before to look at the journey that we're having then well maybe they were in our same stage that we're on right now and two sometimes don't even see that because again things change and a lot of things happens in between and so what you see is the byproduct of let's say for me eight years of business but actually, in eight years of contact and networking and making a name for myself and for what I do. So it's it's not even a mistake per se. It's just a reminder of it's good to be able to be to be looking up to people and looking at people that are steps ahead on your journey. But it's almost like rediscover also the magic in the small things and learning from people that are on your same level so that you can kind of find that one of the most beautiful things about our community and what I pride myself with Creative Impact is that our members come in and they say, I feel this today. And there's, whether it's myself or other people even more so in the community, are going to be like, I feel the same. I've had that too. And it's nice to be able to know that maybe today I feel crap. Maybe today I feel overwhelmed. Or this week I haven't been able to, to get anybody to click on my link on Instagram. I don't know. And so that kind of makes you feel a bit like, okay, I'm not alone. And so it's important to have a combination of people you look up to and people around you that are your peers that you can kind of feel safe to talk to and see that you kind of experience similar uh, obstacles and challenges and you can overcome them together. I think that's one of the most important things I'll say that I've seen. Hmm. And in terms, let me go back a little bit. Uh, in terms of the financial engine that I was talking about and that you referred mm-hmm. to, it's very similar words. How did you start creating um, this system around um, monetizing what you loved? I was lucky that I started very early with Creative Impact. Um, and we tried things where they weren't cool. I had a membership before anybody had one. We had the courses before anybody even had one which made it hard at first because we were in the sweet spot between too early and people were like, should I trust this? And then we had a time where it was like, you know, we were not the only ones, but we were kind of like leading it because we've been doing it for so long. It means when you do courses for nine years, you learn a couple of things. One, because I've taken courses myself, but two, because I've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, um, I thought, can I swear? I know I said crap earlier, but can I? You can. Okay. I was gonna say there's a, the concept of um, the shifty, fir- the shifty, the shitty first draft, which we learned together when yeah. we were uh, at Maven, when we, how we met, and I think that that really stuck to me. And I was like, that's what I was doing. I got out something; it wasn't perfect, but at least I got it out. 
So I would say that was for me the thing. So this is a disclaimer before I tell you the answer. Like I, we were able to monetize because we monetized early and then we were able to kind of like adapt and see what people were doing to make sure that we would at least have an edge to it. Um, but my first thing that I would say, which is going to be really annoying for some people, there's two things. One, don't monetize too early. I know, annoying, but I'll explain. And two, um, when you're starting out, you know, I always recommend to look at being patient and maybe have less volume and more and more like carefully kind of selected clients or projects, things that maybe are obviously bringing you a bit more money and maybe are not that many. Let me explain. Why am I saying these two things that sound really annoying? First, don't monetize too early because I think that put a lot of pressure on ourselves and our, or our audience. And they we genuinely think they know us because we've been talking about ourselves for, let's say, a month or two. But they haven't been hearing us every single time for a month or two. So that's why I say this, because 90% of the time, again, I was literally listening to one of my favorite podcasts called True Crime Obsessed. Love the guys. They're, they're excellent. And I didn't realize... Um, and JJ is writing it down, but anybody, you can also check it out if you like true crime. They're really funny. And they have a Patreon, and so you look at it like, yeah, you know, makes sense monetizing your podcast. And you're like, wow, and they have it's their full-time job, it's just that podcast. And then you realize that actually they have been doing podcasts on there since 2017. So yes, now they have probably two years worth of Patreon stuff, which means two years ago, maybe they kind of upgraded it. But again... They didn't monetize straight away. Now, because everybody is monetizing, regardless of how long they started to go, everybody feels like, I'm going to start a newsletter so that I can make money out of it. I'm going to start a podcast so that I can monetize it. It's great to look at then ways to do it. But when you're rushing it too much, one, you do what you think you should do and not what your audience wants. And two, your audience is not ready for it yet because they don't have built that relationship of trust. So that's the caveat on the first point. And then the second point, again, the annoying point of less volume, this is just very pragmatic. And as you can tell, there's the practical fab that comes in. Like I'm a Virgo, if anybody likes astrology, so I'm very Virgoing in myself. And I have this practical streak that tells me, one, it means you can get experience, whatever you do, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a consultant, whether if you do have an educational kind of type of business or you want to kind of help people in a in a more hands-on way you know start getting hands-on experience of what it looks like to work with a client or to work with a student and so less is more with that but what we like is that one to many which obviously is more scalable but at the beginning it's really hard and with the one to many you will have to obviously adjust your prices you will have to adjust the expectations so depending on if you're listening, depending on where you're sitting when it comes to what you're creating and your, the business you want, don't be afraid to work with a few less people because the two years of me working with one-to-one -one clients only, because that's the only thing I had, were invaluable. They told me how to talk to people better, how to manage people better, and I'm pretty sure that you can relate with the work that you've done with the teams that you went in and helped. The, even if it's a workshop, it doesn't have to be necessarily a one-to-one -one client, but it really helps. One-to-many is great, but it sets different expectations and it also can feel a lot of pressure when you're looking at a very low price point. So these will be my two very annoying, but I promise they work tips when it comes to monetizing something that you love or your passion. Hmm. 
I know they are annoying because sometimes there is a rush. And also, how do you deal with something that you mentioned a little ago, which is the perfectionist side of things? How does that work in your place? When do you know this is good enough? When do you know you need to push a little further? I want to hear your take on that afterwards as well. So I'm just going to tell you, JJ, I'm going to throw it back at you. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too, because I know we're kindred sure. spirits. So, so, so. Um, on my side, uh, I I think what it's been, again, it sounds literally like the experience is what have forged me as a human, but it's true. Um being a perfectionist, a lot of the time, it's got positives and negatives, and a lot of the time when you get yourself to that point of ne is never good enough, I always ended up burning myself out or pushing myself to the limit, right? Because it has to be exactly that way. And I think for me, quite honestly, what has stopped me from doing it as much has been two things. One, me reckoning with the fact that my body, my, my well-being, mental and physical, will be really affected because I'm pushing, pushing, pushing constantly. And so that's one. Actually, there's three. The second one is also your relationships sometimes will be affected because when you're a perfectionist, especially at work, you know, it's really hard for you to let go of things, which means you might be working a bit of a time or you might be, you know, it will happen because you're like, oh, no, this is not good enough. Or I need to do this or I need to finish that. So, again, relationships can suffer. I've been doing this for eight years. I've had relationships in between, so I know... You know, that is a different type of path when it comes to your work, your kind of work expectations. And I also find that, you know, when it comes to that perfectionist streak, there's also an element of ego, which I think is the last thing worth mentioning. So obviously I mentioned mental, physical well-being, a bit of also like understanding how it affects your relationship with yourself and others. And also the ego and letting go of my ego was probably the biggest thing. And a lot of the time we're perfectionists because when we're perfectionists, there's also an element of procrastination in it, which is really fascinating when you think about the concept of perfectionism. And also there's an element of um, not wanting to let go sometimes or something that doesn't work or something that maybe we need to change. So I found that for myself to be like, going back to that, you know, we're talking about the different intersection of what you love, what you do, what makes you money, etc. I got a bit less stuck on the how some things get done and I keep holding on to the why I want to do them. So if I'm going to, again, going back to the example of this event that is coming up, if now the sessions are going to be recorded so that I can actually, you know, not literally be dead by the end of the day because it will be really tiring for, for us to do them all live, it's probably not exactly the same type of engagement. It's not maybe the same smoothness, but at least it's there. It's getting done. It, I know it's going to be a great session, series of sessions for people. That's what I want. The rest, it's okay. And I think it's my ego being like, it's okay if you have to change things. Going back because of my well-being. So again, it goes back to one of my points about stopping being a perfectionist. And then the ego always is a play. When you make those decisions, it's like, ooh. And um, again, it goes back to the mindset and being kind to yourself instead of thinking like you failed, which you didn't thinking about it as actually being proud of yourself for making the decision to let go of some things or adapt some things to prioritize. As you see, we're going back to the same. So what about yourself, JJ? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> when you asked, it made me go back in time. And uh, also, we 
we will, this is going to be funny because we did also an, an interview on the opposite side. And at that time, we talked about something that I call fail, but the definition, the new definition of fail, which to me, it means the fast acquisition of important lessons. That's what F-A-I-L mean, right? So what it happens is that since I come from a tech environment in coding, everything, every time that you're coding something, you try to build it or try to run it perfectly and it crashes over and over again, right? So I think that that it got me desensitized to, a little desensitized at least, to the... To, to the point of not trying to, to do something because I knew that I had to push forward, push forward, constantly doing it over and over again. So when I'm putting something out there, a, pro, a project or a product out there, I know that this is going to be, like you said, the, the shitty first draft, right? And even I think about myself, I am the first of my, um, uh, my siblings so maybe I am the one that is not perfect. And that's okay. <laughs> I can still do it. <laughs> I was a shitty first draft in my family. But that worked. So that's how You're I... just perfect the way you are, JJ. No shitty first draft there. No <laughs> shitty first. Thanks, pal. Now, let's talk a little bit about you and your own habits. Because you have written a book on habits of entrepreneurs and creative people, right? So... What are some of the habits or routines that are part of your daily life that enable the best version of Fab? Best Fab 3.0. Uh, so 3.0 because I'm now over 30. So I'm going to be the 3.0. See what I did there? Um, talking about tech, I'm just looking around to see. So my favorite things are my card decks because I'm a, I'm a woo-woo person, as they call them. So I really do like to get a bit of guidance through cards and whether it's tarot or some oracle cards. And and again, that's more of a ritual in itself rather than thinking I can, you know, the actual massive change that it makes into my morning. But that will be one of the things I do in the morning is pull up a card or two and then have my little uh, priming session meditation, which is the old school Tony Robbins priming uh, recording, which you can also look up on YouTube, which is not for everyone, but is a nice reflection kind of guided meditation and i just usually would struggle with listening to the same thing every morning but i got back into it and i just kind of enjoy it mainly because of what it says not sorry because it's done robbins in itself but the way it's broken down is guided and it helps and then on top of that so as you can tell my mornings are quite are probably where the, the cookie probably crumbles is also the journaling piece is very important to me so following almost that kind of meditation it encourages you to, one, think about what you're grateful for, which is always important, that appreciation and realization of the goodness around you and abundance. Um, there's an element of also reflection and healing, solving and centering, which is really important, again, with overactive brains. And then with the journaling, again, there's an element of what you're looking forward to, which is good, so you kind of see like what's coming up on the day. And then on top of that, not as part of the journaling itself, but what I do at the end of that little writing stint. I also write every day my three top goals that I want to achieve that I know are a bit bigger. So it's kind of like that kind of goal, the North Star of the three things that I really want to make sure that I kind of bring into existence. Um, isn't that, oh God, now I'm going to quote something. I remember the quote. It's something like, it's, it's cringy by the way, but there's something within that that I understand. 
It's something like the difference between a billionaire and a millionaire is the billionaire writes their goals down twice a day or something like that. It's cringy. And I, it's not probably exactly the quote, but it is like that. And even if it's cringy, there is some truth in that. What is like by writing down literally the same bigger goals as well as small things that I know I want to achieve. It really helps me kind of cementing like, you know, what are the things that I really want to focus on and what focus goals truly energy flows. So I would say that's probably the most structured habits that I have in the morning. And then nine times out of 10, even if in winter is really hard, is also my other core habit is movement. And that is usually um, working out in the morning because throughout the day, again, now I'm not, as I said, I'm not well. So for example, today I'm not doing anything, but I know that I get to like two or three o'clock PM and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a morning person. So I really struggle in the evening. So to me, that's a very important thing is just literally work out, kind of like really focusing into that and kind of re getting in touch with my body. So we'll say these are the things. There's the meditation, cards, and journaling piece in the morning. And then also, usually after that, there's a little workout, which is almost like another way to do me time. And that sets me up for the day. And then the rest is a bit more fluid and flexible. But these things are really important to me. And I will touch base on this thing that you mentioned about self-compassion. Sometimes it's difficult, right, to make things happen. Nevertheless, that is when I guess self-compassion shows the most those difficult times. So that is that is interesting that you mentioned about the cards and astrology. And for some people that is super woo-woo. So in your case, how do you balance or how is your decision-making process? We're going to talk about two processes. First, let's talk about the decision-making because since you're using this technology, which is a different type of technology, right, to make decisions, how do you balance that out with other decision-making tools that you may have? OMG, I mean, I'm not going to say that if I pick up a card that, like, that, that I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm going to drop everything and everyone and go to, you know, go to a really high mountain peak. Okay. and be on my own forever no um i use different people will use cards and different types of guidance for me sometimes there's a question and it kind of almost gives me that um reassurance around it or it kind of gives me a bit of that pull and almost like a compass sort of vibe but a lot of the time it's just um almost reaffirming a bit where i am it sounds really weird and again it's i'm probably not the best person to talk about the whole psychology of it because I have a lot of my friends that are a lot more spiritual than me and are a lot more in tune with their intuition. But a lot of it is almost kind of letting go of trying to have it all figured out and almost kind of saying, I'm going to tap into my intuition. And in my case, I'm also going to tap into a, what, a bigger intuition, you could say, <laughs> just to kind of remind me that I'm on the right path or to kind of almost make me feel like is an extra reaffirmation of maybe I'm going for a shit time and you're like, you know, a reminder that this time is a time for growth and embracing it and accepting it instead of shying away from it. There's this misconception that if I tell you about tarot cards, everybody has is like, if I find a death card, OMG, that's terrible. First, it's not a terrible card I actually have on my body because it's a card of rebirth. So it's not a bad one. There are others that are probably not so positive. But there's this thing is like, if I find a negative card, it means something bad is going to happen to me. And this is where I don't see it that way. I see it almost as, a way for you to reflect a bit more on the good and the bad and having a different type of guidance that goes into your intuition and maybe something beyond that if you want to believe it. But 
going back to the original question, I wouldn't say that, for example, I'm going to sign a contract or or start a business or, or close a business based on account. That is probably why, well, let's put it this way, there's going to be a more conscious decision. By the end of the day, the intuition is always going to be what tells me what to do at the very end. Am I rationalizing because it's good? But if my intuition is screaming not to do something or to go and do something, I learn to listen. So whether that is related to the cards or just in general, that connection, is that is one thing that I would say I still do, really tap into my intuition when there's a big decision to make. Um, and I asked this because the other day was the first time that I did, actually yesterday, uh, a tarot animal spirit card session, and I loved it. And I said, why no one told me this thing before? So <laughs> clearly I am extremely analytical, but that other like I call it technology, I found it fascinating. It is, it's tapping on, on, on something that is not the rational and maybe that is even wiser. So maybe we're going to get back to, to a second part of the episode specifically about cards. Tarot oh, cards. yeah. <laughs> um, Fab, now what is something that you have unlearned in recent years that improved the quality of your life? That is an odd question. I, I, and I, that, the, however, I'm going straight into again, like that I literally, the idea and the mindset around success, I think that's been probably the biggest thing that I almost unlearned. Um, there's that, and there's also like how to teach people, I think has been a big thing for me because obviously I teach a lot of people, clients on a one to one basis, uh, cohort students for all marketing school and creative impact. Uh, small groups with workshops on a weekly basis. So I teach a lot. So I'm going to focus on both. I'm going to talk about the teaching first because it's a bit easier as a conversation. And as I've learned, we talked about it actually when JJ was with me on our old marketing school podcast um, about unlearning some of the ways of traditional teaching or expectations about teaching and learning. That was big for me because I always thought that, you know, and again, I'm not going to tell you too much about it because you can literally go to any of JJ's courses and workshops, but what you explain when it comes to the optimal learning framework, that's some elements of it is what I had to unlearn. Be like, actually, it's not just about the knowledge, it's about everything else in between. And I had to unlearn to be like, people are just there to receive. No, they're also there to implement for themselves, to make a discovery, to be interactive to actually be able to do something to retain it. So that was a big one for me. And that kind of comes more from a professional point of view on a pr practical level. More on a mindset level, the other thing that I learned is um, how to define success uh, and why I felt that it was kind of the wrong way to do it. I talk about it in the book actually quite in length. But it's all, it's all relating to the idea that we set it so hard for us to succeed on a daily basis. No wonder we feel like we literally have to go on top of the Mount Everest to feel like we had a successful day or to feel like we've achieved something in life. And uh, I think that's something that happens because of society and because of the way that we see achievements and we think an achievement should be. And um, it's kind of funny. Every week in the collective, we celebrate wins. And sometimes I'm like, oh, why didn't you write anything last week? And people are like, oh, I didn't really do anything. And then we talk, we do weekly check-ins with them. And I was like, well, well you did that. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not really a win or achievement. I'm like, yes, it is. 
So again, it's kind of that reframing. And I unlearned it only, I think when I wrote the book, that was probably the biggest one because writing a book is a very cathartic thing. You put a lot of things around and you reread it for 17 times. And you're like, oh God, ah. And you actually kind of are faced basically with your thoughts, if, especially if it's a nonfiction. So I, I wrote it down and then I kept looking and I was like, this was probably one of the biggest lessons for me that I had to learn for myself. Is like, if I can make it easy for me to succeed and to feel like I've achieved something every day, regardless of what it is, then, you know, I, I feel more fulfilled because I understand that I'm making it easier for myself to celebrate the little things instead of constantly looking for something massive and not enjoying the journey along the way. So I think these were the two things, the teaching side of it, but also a bit of this kind of success sort of misconception and idea that a lot of people have. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I could notice that one when I was reading your book that I'm learning needed to happen. And the teaching is, is also something I did not expect. Thank you for that. Now, Fab, this teaching that you, you are basically a teacher, like you said, you are teaching, but you have been teaching for a long time and also you do it on a regular basis. Now, who are the teachers of the teacher or who are your role models or mentors? Do you have any figures that? It's always hard. I think, you know what, I maybe I listened somewhere where I watched something and somebody was saying about, talking about their mentors and they were like, I, I had mentors for a very long time where I, look, I had people I could look up to and then at some point I kind of stopped. I, I don't know who it was, but I remember I was reading it. I was like, ah. And I was like, you know, it's great to be able to look at other people and look up to them, but at some point I actually wanted to give kudos to myself. And because of that, I think I've, I've always been on the mindset of I have different teachers that told me different things at different times. But, you know, people answer, like, you ask, you know, what's your old model? And you're like, I don't know. Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk or whatever mm-hmm. and it kind of kind of comes like that for me it's always been hard because I realized that the most important teachers for me were not these kind of like big people you look up to like one two of my favorite teachers was actually two of my uh, high school that would be kind of in the UK and US everywhere high school age teachers one of them was my literature teacher and she was double hero one because bless her she would read my very gruesome short stories very something around that and bless her she will like read through them and kind of like give me feedback and she really believed in me as a writer and then i even sent her a copy of my book that she cannot read because it's in english but i just said i'm italian by origin just in case um she was like okay but she was really like proud of me so that was element in that case it really showed me the power of actually making the time to kind of give help and support because she didn't have to but also she also um a couple of years ago gave um gave her son who had a complication when it comes to his kidney she gave him um one of her kidneys and we kept in touch after school with some of my friends and her and it was really touching to hear that and obviously to kind of see that from her so she's here both ways for me in that respect a role model and also another teacher my english teacher because of the way she taught and because of the support she gave me also She's another person that for me was really special. So I find that funnily enough, I was really lucky to have two teachers as teachers that really taught me a lot. And I think they stuck with me because of that personal connection and what I've, I've experienced firsthand. 
So there are other people that maybe you will say, I look up to like Stephen King, I don't know, uh, to give an example. It's the teacher in themselves, but I find that some of the best teachers are the ones that come and actually have a real impact in your life on a close perspective, because these are hard to forget. Because even if life goes by, these people had a mark and helped you making a decision or taking a path instead of another in your life. Mm. Yeah. yeah, sometimes we focus on, on the big stars in the, on the sky and we think that they are our only teachers when sometimes the smallest interactions with um, people that are their own heroes or heroes in their family or in their community are so touchy as well. Mm. Fab, I know that we have a few more minutes, so I wanted to ask the last few questions. So first, where can people find you on the net? Everywhere, if you write Fab, I mean, if you write Fab, I wanna see what you come up with, so good luck with that. But um, it, I have my website and everything else. I would say first thing, if you write fabgiovanetti.com, I'll spell the name. That's my website and you can find more info about everything I do. And also when you get the spelling now, you can put into any social network aside from Snapchat and I'm there. And it's F-A-B-G-I-O-V-A-N-E-T-T-I. So that's the easiest way to find my personal stuff. My book is Reclaim Your Time Off and you can get it pretty much everywhere. So go and check it out if that in, inspires you. And you really want to, especially for the new year, you know, with 2022, you kind of know that this is the year for you to actually refine the balance to kind of change some of the mindset you have around work and your success. And obviously, if you want to find out more about everything else, creativeimpact.group is our Creative Impact website. And allmarketingschool.com is where you can find out more about our certification as well. Where I usually go to learn a lot about marketing, I can say. <laughs> yeah. Fab, one last question. In closing, if you could leave the audience with a question to expand their minds, what would that question be? Oh, I have a good question. Um, was asked, I'm going to say though, it was asked by somebody else to me, and I always refer back to it because I actually use it a lot of times when I was struggling. So my question is, if you had $1 million, pounds, whatever it is, in the bank right now, would you be doing exactly what you're doing right now? Hmm. Think about it. Well, we'll do for sure. We'll do for sure. Thanks, Fab. Yeah, personally, I will experiment with your suggestions on this episode. And I really, really appreciate and admire the work that you're doing. So, Same way for you. Thank you so, so much for having me. That was awesome. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you here. Thank you, friends, family of Optimizando Me. This was another interview with a very particular human from whom we learn in this case. If you like this kind of interviews, just give it a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, and um, send me your comments and questions for next guests on this topic. And don't forget to follow Fab Giovanetti. See you next time, guys. Bye.